What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with the Washington Post. I am joined on the other line, as always, by Michael the Pod Pina. Now, Michael, we spent last week in furious debate um, over the all-quarantine team. You put together the Louisville greatest, led by Kawhi Leonard and James Harden. I put together the Vancouver vaccines, uh, led by LeBron James and Giannis Adenokounmpo. I got to say, Michael, we got so much feedback on our draft. A lot of uh, a lot of thumbs up for your drafting strategy. I think a lot of people enjoyed my teams, uh, just overall star power. And we're going to dig into all the replies to that uh, later this week. And we'll also double back on a bunch of questions we got on various social justice issues um, and, and obviously the ongoing protests that continue to involve superstars like Giannis and Steph Curry across the country. But I thought what we would do for today, Michael, is really sink our teeth uh, into... Uh, these upcoming playoffs, the COVID playoffs set for Disney World in Orlando. Um, it's been months since we've had kind of real basketball to talk about. We we dug into it a little bit on that draft, trying to determine which players would succeed in this format, which ones might be uh, held back a little bit. Um, and I thought I would expand that conversation here to dig into and force you to make 10 embarrassing predictions about the NBA COVID playoffs. And obviously right now we're kind of flying blind, right? Like we know who's playing. We know when they're going to show up. Uh, we know, you know, scant other details, but we haven't heard about the health program. Uh, we haven't really heard about, uh, you know, from a finalized standpoint, what the first round matchups are going to look like. So we can't really chart who do the Lakers have to get through to get to the title um, or any of that stuff. Uh, but nevertheless, I, I'm feeling a little bit of excitement building here. I know there's obviously trepidation because of the health uh, situation and everything else. But I say we plunge into the deep end, Michael, and make predictions. What do you think? Let's do this, Ben. Let's start with the biggest one, okay? Assuming that everything goes well, they don't have to shut down the playoffs. We all make it through till October. There's an NBA Finals. There's a Larry O'Brien trophy. There's somebody holding that Larry O'Brien trophy high up in the air in an empty gym, uh, maybe with cardboard cutouts or stuffed animals in the crowd to celebrate with them. I want you to predict, though, who is going to win the NBA title, the 2020 COVID title? Who are they going to beat in the finals? Why? And then who is your finals MVP? So in trying to make a selection here, I mean, I'm just going to stick. I decided to stick with my my preseason, pre-regular season before all of this went down, that prediction. And I'm actually more confident in it than I was before. Uh, I might just be delusional and uh, extremely naive, but I'm going as the champion. I'm picking the Houston Rockets. And uh, I'm doing this because I feel like this team was always built to dominate in like the more chaos and the more variance and the more unpredictability that is injected into the environment, the better off the Houston Rockets will be. This is a weird time and they are the weirdest good team. So I I feel pretty confident with Houston winning it all. Well, Mike D'Antoni always likes to say, oh, I just roll that ball out, let James do what he wants to do. Isn't this the ultimate roll the ball out format? You know, it's like, (laughs) I mean, he's a a big time five on five uh, summer league type guy. I mean, he's always participating in various leagues, um, you know, year round. So he should feel at home and I expect him to have a really good postseason. Is that your finals MVP pick too? And then who do you think they're going to face off against in the finals? 
Sure. So, yeah, it's tough to go with anyone but Harden. I mean, I guess Russell Westbrook would be the other candidate here. I'm going with Harden. I mean, he was the second pick for my all-quarantine team, and I just love how his his playing style fits uh, in those circumstances where he's just methodical. He... His game doesn't really rely on uh, emotion, and as we'll get to in a different question that you're going to ask later on, I just think that if you can get to the free throw line and draw fouls, you're at an advantage in this setting. So, uh, you know, Westbrook's there. His energy is going to be extremely valuable. P.J. Tucker, also on my all-quarantine team. I was going to say, uh, uh, are you kind of snubbing him maybe here for <laughs> finals MVP? I know you picked him over Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid, lots of other big-time big guys. Is it possible P.J. Tucker is a sleeper finals MVP pick for you? I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, he's the man. Sure. Go P.J. Um, <laughs> right. Who's coming out of the East? Yeah, so this is – I don't know how difficult this was for you to pick. It was excruciating. I think there are three legitimate – candidates here the bucks the celtics and the raptors and it was i mean it's there's three teams so it's not a coin flip but i mean i could make cases for all of them um based either on what we saw during the regular season or how good they are on both ends or how adaptable their lineups can be Uh, i think the bucks kind of have an inherent advantage in that they probably will only have to face one of the celtics and the raptors whereas the Celtics and the Raptors will have to face, you know, one of each other plus the Bucks. But I'm going with the Celtics. Um, wow! And I'm doing that because uh, I think not having a home court advantage hurts the Bucks and the Raptors a little more. Like we don't know the seedings yet. There's going to be eight games played to kind of solidify uh, the first round matchups and everything. But in all likelihood. Uh, the you know the Celtics would have had to have gone on the road uh, for a game seven against either the Bucks or the Raptors in a playoff series, and in Orlando they obviously do not have to do that. So I think that that's an advantage for them. And then I just look at their their team. I mean, they have Kemba's going to be healthy. They have Marcus Smart, who I regret not taking on my all quarantine team, and I don't think I'll ever get over that mistake. Uh, and then the three wings, Tatum, Jalen, and Gordon Hayward, are just such a diff- difficult matchup problem all the way around. Um, and last, my last reason, uh, you know, the playoffs are all about matchups, and I understand that. I do like this stat about the Celtics, which is that against teams that uh, ranked in the top 10 before the season was suspended, teams that ranked in the top 10 in point differential, the Celtics had the highest net rating against those teams. So they're really good against the best of the best. And uh, they're so much better than everyone else that their net rating against those teams was actually higher than the second, third and fourth ranked teams combined. So the Celtics are good, and I don't feel uh, I don't feel bias in this decision. What do you What do you think about that, Ben? The home court thing is really interesting because Milwaukee had by far the best home court record in the Eastern Conference. So if anybody stands to lose from that, it's it's probably them. At the same time, I'm not totally sold on how home court is going to uh, impact this thing. We're you know playing on a neutral site because I do feel like sometimes. Uh, you know, series where one team is like definitely more talented than the other wind up going a little bit longer because like the the underdog winds up getting that boost when they get back to their home court, right? And it's like, mm-hmm. if you just allow the talent in a neutral environment, it's almost like you're running a computer simulation. I feel like the more talented team is more likely to win. I have, I mean, I haven't really studied this issue closely, but 
I just feel like, you know, for an example, like a team like Orlando would have a better chance of beating Milwaukee in Orlando than they would at this neutral site where they have no fans, even though that neutral site is happens to be in Orlando, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I, I'm That's one of the biggest things I'm curious about is how uh, the home court advantage neutral site thing uh, changes things for the favorites because if it does wind up wiping out the favorite advantage and we have a bunch of longer series than we would normally expect, I feel terrible for those contenders who like, you know, spent the last six months dominating people um, only to watch that uh, advantage kind of go out the window. Um, You know, in terms of my finals picks, I am going, I'm also sticking with my preseason pick, which, you know, I'm not sure that says too much about us in terms of our mental flexibility, Michael, we're not exactly (laughs) adapting to uh, the major changes in what I think is, you know, fairly called the most unpredictable playoffs ever. I'm going Clippers over Bucks. And my, my argument comes down to this. I think that the playoffs, you know, usually defense comes more to the forefront in the playoffs in general. And I think that there's going to be a, a difficulty in capturing really high-level offensive chemistry, in part because of the time off, um, in part because of the lack of access to gyms for a lot of people and, and the lack of shared time together. Um, and then also just the, the lack of atmosphere, you know, so many times we've seen amazing offensive runs pushed along by just like crazy home crowds. Right. Um, I think it's going to be difficult to kind of conjure up, you know, those uh, scenarios in an empty gym where you're just relying upon the Patty Mills of the world to like wave their towels and, and, uh, you know, it push you along from the bench. So I like the fact that both the Clippers and the Bucks can win ugly. You know, I think that we look at their offense, you know, we tend to look at Kawhi's shot making and Giannis's, uh, you know, ability to get to the rim and, and drive and kick as sort of the foundational elements of those teams. But I think ultimately the Clippers, you know, length, um, imposing perimeter defense, interchangeability, toughness, veteran, you know, core uh, you know, from a defensive standpoint, plus the Bucks, who are just very systematic, you know, playing the odds um, and, you know, able to take away stuff around the basket area. I mean, I, I kind of think both these teams are going to ride their defense to the finals. And then ultimately, I just like the Clippers matchups with the Bucks slightly better um, than vice versa. So I'll go Clippers um, over Bucks in the finals and I'll take Kawhi as my finals MVP. I can't really argue with that. I mean, my brain probably agrees with you. I went with a lot of my heart in in my uh, my decision making process. I do like a lot of the things that you said. I have a question. Well, that, Michael, should we just sure. be calling ourselves potty in the brain? What do you <laughs> sure, think? Sure. <laughs> I have a. Uh, I, I I don't even understand the reference, but I oh, pinky I in love- the brain, the potty oh, in the okay, brain. Yes. Uh, that's beautiful. No, God, I get I have it. to that's, explain that's all wonderful. my jokes to you, Michael. You're killing me. <laughs> Uh, I do have a question, you know, just listening that came to me in listening to your your rationalization for picking uh, teams based on defense. You know, the Bucks, uh, obviously, their systematic approach on that end is to allow a lot of threes and to protect the rim. What if I, I mean, I'm just speculating here, obviously, because we don't know what's going to happen. But in an empty gym or, or uh, you know, a, a gym that is more quiet and without fans and everything, if hitting open threes will be easier, the Bucks are in a lot of trouble. And I, 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 I again, this is going to be impossible to kind of quantify. And it's just me kind of just talking. No, I've, I've had the same thought. I, I put it in my newsletter. We always hear about the shooting specialists who perform yeah. better at home 
than on the road, right? And so you wonder, is the home crowd helping the ball go in? Is it increasing their confidence? Is it making them more comfortable? Or is the road crowd keeping the ball out by making them less comfortable and different sight lines and whatever else, right? So where does that wind up coming in a, in a neutral site? Do they wind up shooting better than kind of the, the average of those two because there's no negativity? Do they wind up being a little bit below the average of those two because they don't have that full, you know, comfort of home? I, you know, it's really tough. I mean, some of this stuff is mental. Who knows how much of it is completely statistically significant? Are we going to come out of this with like a real firm understanding about how much home court helps shooters and all of that? Um, I'm not totally sure, but it would be like very depressing for Milwaukee if they just got gunned out of this thing in like the first round (laughs) because all of a sudden like everybody can hit threes and their entire um, you know well thought out well constructed framework just no longer works yeah Terrence Ross and Nikola Vucevic just average 19 threes a game between the two of them that would be devastating for Milwaukee the more that I think about it they're the biggest losers of this whole thing right because they actually do potentially have to play that 1-8 against Orlando in Orlando which that's got to be some level of benefit right I mean even if the Magic are living on the bubble like everybody else um don't you feel like, you know, you just know the streets a little bit better? You're probably more likely to have gone to Disney World if you're a Magic player than the average NBA player. Of course, the Bucks do have a couple Lopez brothers, so they're very comfortable in all Disney properties globally. You know, no no, no problem. But I don't know, man. Uh, it, that, it does feel like uh, a little bit unfair on their behalf. All right, uh, let's let's go forward to question number two, your second prediction, which is, are we going to have one of these play-in rounds in either conference and just to, to recap, Michael, basically, if the ninth seed can come within four games or fewer of the eighth seed, that will trigger the play-in. So right now, I think Washington's five and a half behind Orlando. Uh, Brooklyn's also just barely above uh, Orlando. And then in the Western Conference, Memphis has something like, I think, a three and a half game lead over Portland, New Orleans. I mean, it's really you know bottled up there in the Western Conference. Um, so do you think any of those ninth seeds are going to be able to force the play-in? And then once they get to the play-in, if the eighth seed wins the first game, they claim the spot in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. If the ninth seed wins the first game, there's a second game and they have to win again. And the winner of that game, uh, claims the, the final spot of the playoffs. So are we going to see any of this, uh, much ballyhooed play-in round, or is it all going to be much ado about nothing? I have a really hard time seeing this go down in the Eastern Conference where the Wizards are just... Wow, really f- you're counting out the Washington Wizards, I, Michael? I, I am counting out the Washington Wizards. I was actually shocked that they were invited. I mean, I, you know, before any of this happened, they were like the, the projection systems had them at like a 0.1% chance of making the playoffs, I believe. So I just, I, I'm a little surprised that they're coming but it's it's well, good to watch me, bradley beal play basketball i guess let me stop you right there what do you think that conversation was like in the nba league office as they're trying to balance all of these different priorities because there's no way anyone was like we need the wizards in orlando this has to happen right there's just no possible way do you think it just came down to this idea that like it's kind of weird if we have a play-in tournament in the Western <laughs> Conference and nothing going on in the Eastern Conference. Does it make everything look bad? Do we need to at least spice things up? Like, are they really just the designated Eastern Conference representative? That's exactly what they are. I mean, they're Oof. they're 
24 and 40. That's not a playoff team. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I, and I, I mean, this all goes back. We don't really have to talk about this again, but it all goes back to like, why are there 22 teams? I just, it's, it's bizarre. And also like, I'm surprised that you weren't a little more ruffled by Phoenix getting invited 26 and 39 and basically have no chance of making the playoffs. Well, it's very tricky for me, Michael, because Phoenix was only invited because Washington was invited. So it was like a trickle down (laughs) thing where they just started like handing out free playoff uh, appearances. Sure. Here's the, here's the thing. Um, Ultimately, I'm okay with Phoenix being invited because this really solidifies my argument about Western Conference elitism. You know, in my ideal world, if you're going to take 22 teams to the playoffs, shouldn't we just take all 15 from the West and maybe seven from the East? Michael, what do you think? Don't you think that's a little bit more fair and and representative of the true strengths uh, relatively between the two conferences? I'm not going to go that far with you, Ben, but I I see the tree that you're barking up and I, I I, I kind of agree, but I'm not going that far. The next step here is going to be secession. Um, I want to see the Western <laughs> Conference. <laughs> I want to see a secession movement, and maybe we could take about four players from the Eastern Conference. Probably your guy Tatum will make the cut. Giannis, of course. Probably, maybe, yeah. Ma- maybe a couple other guys <laughs> we're just going to like import into the Western Conference, and that's going to be the uh, new premier sports league of all. And we will not be playing our tournament at Disney World. I can promise you that. Um, all right. So no play-in in the East for you. I agree. No play-in in the East. It's all going to be much to do about nothing. Uh, Washington will be home after basically two weeks. What about the West, though? It's definitely more interesting in the West. Uh, Memphis has, like I said, a three-and-a-half game lead over Portland, New Orleans, and Sacramento. San Antonio is another half game back there. And then Phoenix, like you mentioned, uh, really just charging up the standings at 26 <laughs> and 39. Um, you know, they're a full six games back, basically no shot. So... What do you think, Michael? Which of those teams can push Memphis, if any? I think the easy answer here has got to be the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, You know, they're going to get... They were already pretty close. They had a decent chance with the schedule before the season was suspended of maybe even passing Memphis as it was. They're getting Yusuf Nurkic back. They're getting Zach Collins back. Uh, They have hierarchy on their roster. They have an MVP candidate in Dame Lillard. They have an absurd heat check in CJ McCollum who can go off at any time. Uh, They also have, you know, the night that so the the play in is basically being judged by winning percentage instead of overall record because not all teams have played the same will have played the same amount of games. But if Portland has the same record as either New Orleans or Sacramento, they will still finish ahead of them, despite having been swept by the Pelicans this season and having tied Sacramento because of that, uh, the fact that they have played uh, more games and would be ahead in the winning percentage column. So, uh, yeah, they have this inherent built-in advantage. They're, uh, you know, on paper, a better team. They have, I would say, the best player in Dame Lillard out of all those teams. And well, they also get Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins right. both potentially back from long-term injuries. So, I mean, I think that they're the favorite to do this for sure. Are you worried at all that those guys could be rusty and we get all excited about their potential comebacks and it's just a really challenging environment and maybe they never get up to speed and, you know, it winds up not actually being that big of a benefit? Or is that overthinking things and you look at who they were playing in those guys' place and it's like, oh, yeah, less Hassan Whiteside, more Nurkic, no-brainer. Being rusty is something we can't even project. I think a lot of players will be rusty. A lot of teams will be rusty that 
were really good and 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 firing on all cylinders before the season was suspended. So like I feel like the the playing field might as well be even with someone like Zach Collins and someone like Yusuf Nurkic. It's not like those guys like Dame and CJ. It's not like they've never played with those two before. They have chemistry. So I think it'll be a maybe a little more fluid than we're anticipating, just because everyone else is going to be disrupted as well. I think the best argument for the Blazers making it is that the NBA clearly wants Zion in this thing so badly that it's going to backfire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it'll just not work out the way they want it. The story is too good. So I guess unless we start to see some real referee shenanigans, which we probably shouldn't be cons- conspiracy theorizing about uh, so early, but... Um, let's keep an eye really close on the whistles in those Pelicans games, right? Um, no, I think I'm with you, the Blazers. I actually think that we're totally underrating the Kings in this conversation, though. They had some real momentum, Fox being back. I think he's another guy where it's, you're talking about five-on-five pickup player. I mean, he, I think he'd be excellent in that uh, mm-hmm. in that situation. They've got some real offensive firepower, so those guys can get things going. They've also got guys who sort of need to showcase a little bit, you know what I mean, uh, for free agency or possible trades. So that could be one of those like, oh, we can go to Orlando, put on a good month and get ourselves a, you know, a little bit of an extra bonus on our next contract. Uh, I could see a few of those factors weighing in their favor too. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's going to be a really tight race, but if, you know, gun to my head, I'll take Portland versus Memphis. And I actually think Portland will take the eighth seed. What do you think? I think they will too. Uh, I also think that it should be said that it's almost impossible, if not impossible, to have this discussion without knowing what the schedules are and who's going to play who, how many times and all that. Um, I'm sure that it'll be as balanced as possible, but it won't be the same. So that's also something to kind of factor in. But I do like Portland to come out and and get the... uh, get the play in just because they have the best player by far and Memphis kind of I mean Memphis is just so young I just don't see them they're gonna get Justice Winslow back presumably but that's not the same thing so is this gonna wind up being remembered as like a cool thing that they added to play in round if Portland unseats Memphis and kind of shakes things up will people say oh it was actually fair because they gave these teams that were on the outside a shot Will people be like, oh, this was all a giant waste of time because Portland winds up getting smacked by the Lakers? Like, how do you think, like, look into your crystal ball, right? Uh, and you're, you're acknowledging lots of things that we don't know. But, hey, Michael, here's a newsflash. It's not impossible to predict these things. It's possible. We're doing it right now. Um, look, at, <laughs> look into your crystal ball. How do you think people remember the play and thing um, for both conferences? It's a sneaky way for the NBA to kind of experiment with something that I think they've always wanted to experiment with just because the you know they don't want I think tanking is one of the bigger issues throughout the NBA and teams kind of punting in March regular season games so this is a way you know if this is super successful and we get really exciting playing games between the Blazers and the Grizzlies or or the Pelicans, where it's Zion versus John Morant, I think that could be humongously beneficial to the television audience. So uh, I think it's interesting. Um, I don't necessarily know if I want to see it kind of implanted permanently, but it's going to be potentially a fun thing to watch. I think it's very possible that Washington comes out and goes like one and seven and everybody's just like, what was the point of this, Michael? Yeah, like, no, I, they, they will embarrass themselves. I th- And like, that's not to pick on them. I just think they're kind of being set up here for failure. I hope they prove me wrong because that'll make it more interesting, but I'm worried that that will happen. 
in the West, I do think that there could be some real hard feelings. Like if Memphis doesn't wind up winning this thing, you know, coming out as that eighth seed, I think that's going to leave a little bitterness for them. And maybe that can wind up being just like fuel for their fire. I'm obviously projecting here a few steps in advance, but if I were them, I would be really, really upset. And I don't think it's a coincidence, Michael, that Memphis radio stations have had me on like four times in the last week to yell about this (laughs) because uh, I think that they're sort of feeling like it's the Grizzlies versus the world. And maybe that's exactly what they need. Uh, Who knows? All right, let's move on to a little lighter subject here. I mentioned the referees uh, slightly earlier with some conspiracy talk. What do you think the biggest change from normal playoff conditions will be with regard to the referees? And I ask this question because everybody always complains every year, right? Oh, the refs are tightening things up or they're changing how they call things, uh, you know, during the playoffs. Maybe um, they're not, you know, whistling some of the, you know, the weird calls that they would, you know, make early in the season, letting guys play a little bit more. But then also sometimes they tighten up on physical altercations because they know so many people are watching on TV. So it does seem like there's some you know, major fundamental changes to how games are called in the playoffs compared to the regular season. What do you expect different in the COVID playoffs compared to the normal playoffs? Right. So I talked about this during the selection of my all-quarantine team, and I'm kind of banking on there being more fouls, uh, both personal and technical, just because I think it's going to be, you know, more of a naked experience where there's less visual distraction from the crowd. You can hear slaps, you can hear grunts and cries and coaches complaining clearly. So from that perspective, I think that refs are going to be, it's going to be, they're going to be hard pressed not to blow the whistle in a lot of circumstances where they could otherwise get away with letting something go. It's it's really interesting. I'm, I kind of hear you on the personal fouls. I'm wondering, though, on the technical fouls, like, will you just feel like a loser if you're getting into shoving matches in an empty gym? Because I I really do feel like the crowd plays a huge role in altercations in the NBA, don't you? Like, guys are fired up, they're heated, the crowd increases the tension by yelling and screaming, getting on the referees. Uh, You know, hard fouls make you the enemy or they get you really excited, depending on, you know, if you're on the road or, or at home. And then also, guys, I feel like sometimes it's a manhood thing, right, where they just feel like they're being tested and they don't want to get punked in front of 20,000 people. Of course, the camera will still be there. So, right, Mm -hmm. they're going to want to stand up for themselves. I just feel like it's going to be different. Like, if you went down to a five-on-five gym and people were acting like LeBron and Harden act during playoff games, you know, in terms of, you know, flopping like fishes and, you know, selling calls and, you know, getting up and there's these challenges, you know, people chin to chin or, or kind of doing Draymond type antics. I don't think that's going to go in an empty gym. Everyone's going to be like, dude, what's wrong with you? Just chill out. We're all just trying not to get sick here. Can we play basketball? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you, do you know what I'm saying? No, I, I, I do see what you're saying for sure. I, I mean, how damaged is the product if we don't get that, though? That's a legitimate question that should be being asked right now. And I think that... Well, my old guy response to that would be, I loved watching the 98 finals when Jordan just hardly even <laughs> says anything. He doesn't even barely talk to his teammates. He just plays basketball. I love that. Can we get your, back to that? Your, your ability to bring like vintage Michael Jordan into this discussion, I, I mean, I'm just standing and applauding well, at my look, desk right now. I'm not saying that the you know he's he's the only one who did it that way, but I think if you even go back and watch your guy Larry Legend, Larry Bird from the <laughs> Boston Celtics, like they got into their share of brawls for sure. But I also think like in general, it was just a more straightforward basketball experience, less preening, 
less constant jaw jacking, you know, like people aren't trying to like put on airs for television. It's just basketball, right? They're just playing. I actually think we're going to have a pure basketball experience down there. I'm looking forward to it. Like at Summer League, you don't have just the nonsense that we see in the NBA playoffs regularly, you know? No, you don't, but I, you know, what's at stake for the players who are competing in Summer League is a little different than what's at stake in a playoff game. So, and I also think like coaches are pretty manic and I don't think that they can turn it off during a game. Ooh, I mean, that's it, a good one. Yeah. So if I'm, you know, when you ever you see, I mean, I heard Steve Kerr talk about this in an interview a little while ago where it's like he kind of blacks out during a game and he says things and he doesn't even realize he's saying them to the refs. So if a referee thinks that his team is getting cheated, he's he's going to lose his mind. That's just what's going to happen. Yeah, that's a great point. We don't need 20,000 fans yelling if you've got Doc Rivers, you know, yelling himself hoarse. Um, <laughs> how embarrassing, what a walk of shame it will be if you wind up getting ejected from a, an Orlando COVID summer league, you know, or playoffs, whatever you want to call it. And so you're like sitting alone, socially distanced in the empty locker room waiting for your team to come back. Um, do you just go back to the hotel like straight away? Because it's probably across the street at that point. Just watch the game from your room. <laughs> that's a terrific question that i haven't considered but why would you go back to the locker yeah exactly it's like just be safe go back to your hotel room watch it from television like everybody else <laughs> the people in the bubble are just like watching the game on like a, a tv screen all of a sudden popovich is just like sipping a mai tai at the bar at the hotel and everyone's like wait a minute aren't you supposed to be coaching right now so like, yeah i got thrown out in the second quarter um all right next question we, we got on this a little bit Will home court advantage favor the better teams or the worst teams? Do you think we're going to see longer series, shorter series, or just the same length compared to a normal playoffs? I mean, I could see this going both ways. Um, We don't know how many of these teams, how any of these teams will look when they get back, if coaches will change rotations, if players will, in those eight games leading into the playoffs, if if stars will have their minutes extended to kind of jockey for for positioning, uh, maybe even an aspect of their strategy or playing style will be altered. It's it's kind of difficult to, to view it from that lens, but... I do think it'll favor the better teams at least early on because it, this you know this doesn't sound too bright, but they're better uh, not because of where they play, but because they've won more games during the regular season. And so, if you have equal conditions, I think the better teams that don't have to play on the opposing team's court and see that that arbitrary advantage will benefit. I mean, this is something that you pointed at a little earlier in the conversation, but I could also see it going the other way. Honestly, it's it's kind of impossible to predict, just like all of these questions are. Yeah, stop whining, Michael. We're doing a great job <laughs> predicting. All right. Um, no, I. it is a tough one. There's no doubt. I think I am inclined to believe it's going to be shorter series. I think that um, I mentioned the underdogs getting that boost uh, to extend series that, that won't necessarily be there. I'm also concerned about just like what the buy-in to this entire experience is across the league. Like, I kind of wonder if the contenders are going to come down there with like, yeah, this is our tournament to win. Let's do this. And there's probably going to be a second tier of teams, maybe like the Houstons of the world who weren't record-wise like near the top, but now feel like this is an amazing opportunity for them to do something they've never done. And I just wonder if there's going to be the other teams that are there, you know, the, the, the five through eight seeds where it's just like, 
I want to get in. I want to make sure I get my, you know, check withholding undone so I can get my payment. <laughs> I want to make sure I stay healthy and I want to get out of there in a month, right? I'm not saying they're going to be losing games on purpose. I'm just saying that like the mental level of focus might not be on the same level as teams that, you know, came into this season really feeling they were going to be title teams. And I just think it might be able to break less talented teams more quickly uh, within a series. And, you know, we see that every once in a while, even among good teams. I remember when the Spurs broke the heat um, in the finals. And, uh, you know, you're always going to make fun of me for going back to Jordan. And here I go, going right back to Duncan. Um, But, you know, (laughs) it happens, right? And once a team's broken, it's like series over. And I just think if you don't have the the home court uh, aspect at all, if you have nothing else you can really turn to, you're playing against a more talented team, you're more more likely to lay down and roll over, um, especially if you've got the comforts at home you know, waiting for you because bottom line, most NBA players are going to have a more comfortable living environment at home with their families uh, or wherever they live than they will in this Disney bubble where they're going to be quarantined and really kept away from, you know, basically the entire public. So I'm not saying it's going to be conscience. It's just going to be those kinds of things that are just like in the back of your mind that maybe prevent you from going as hard, you know, play in, play out as you might, uh, you know, over the course of a normal playoffs. All right, here's a great question from Jay Skeets and the No Dunks podcast, guys. Michael, I pilfered it straight from them, okay? Will the MVP or other major awards races be influenced by adding eight more regular season games? In other words, will voters change their minds uh, with the extra eight games? You and I just said we wouldn't change our minds about who we think is going to win the title, but do you think that something like the MVP race between uh, you know Giannis and LeBron could be decided by this extra eight games tacked on towards the end, or are these races just already done? I think there will be some voters who will force themselves not to include anything that happens in the eight games into their voting process and into their mindset. And then there will be others where it's just like, it's just the ultimate recency bias. And I don't know how many voters will behave with the latter and behave with the former but like if Giannis sits out half of the games because Milwaukee just wants to keep him fresh and LeBron because he's basically the owner of that team decides he wants to play 39 minutes a game and he averages a triple double and the Lakers extend their lead over the Clippers in the standings and you know he plays great I I mean I could see LeBron getting the MVP if he reminds everyone that he's probably potentially the best player in the world still. So for MVP, I can definitely see it going in LeBron's favor. Yeah, I'm worried about it too. I mean, the recency bias is always an issue, right? I mean, how much more closely do voters look at the last games in April um, and in late March than they should compared to, you know, games earlier in the season? Um, Some of that has been muted, I think, by just the rise of of numbers and advanced stats informing the voting conversation here, especially over the last three or four years. Um, But I can absolutely see people just being like, oh, come on, player A is way better than player B. Just look at it side by side, same gym, you know, and having that being the determining factor. And look, we're a long way away from March. I I calculated this for my uh, newsletter this week. I encourage everybody to read it. The break from March 11th to July 31st is longer than last summer's break between the last game of the finals and opening night. So that's, you know, we're looking at a a full NBA offseason here before they're going to get back to playing basketball for real. And I think that that passage of time uh, is going to make a lot of people forget uh, when when they're voters, um, you know, who was leading at the, the end point of the season. So 
That's unfortunate to me. Uh, I hope that the voters are able to get it right. I'm sure I will be writing columns trying to help the voters get it right after those eight regular season games uh, because I no longer vote uh, because of post policy. But um, it's definitely something that I'm worried about. I think it could be uh, distorting for sure. I agree with all that. Uh, What about rookie of the year? Because I feel like in terms of narrative, uh, there's a scenario where, you know, Zion Williamson could be this titanic force who helps push the Pelicans into a play-in scenario against John Morant's Grizzlies. And then what if he just curb stomps the Grizzlies? I think a lot of voters who wanted to vote for Zion anyway will have, you know, there will be an open door for them to do so. And I could see him winning easily also. And that would also bother me. And you know how much I love Zion. And it's really unfortunate, but like we have to look at the entire body of work. And that's another one where it sounds to me like you're just trying to poke the Grizzlies fans, man. You're trying to poke the bear a little bit. Um, Because if they wind (laughs) up losing their playoff spot and rookie of the year because of the way they added these extra eight games in this play-in round, they should be irate. That would be absolutely ridiculous and a complete, you know, travesty in terms of what actually happened over the the course of this entire season. Uh, that being said, I will be very excited to watch Zion try to make a rookie of the year push. Uh, I wouldn't vote for him based on how much time he missed, um, but it would be really, really fun to watch. All right, here's another lighthearted question for you, Michael. What will be the loudest complaint on basketball Twitter about the television product? You know, obviously there's not going to be any fans in the stands. It's going to be a little bit weird. Do you have the broadcast crew sitting courtside so the players can hear them saying, hand down, man down, Um, you know, all the other things they they like to put onto the broadcast. Um, (laughs) What do you think is going to rankle people the most? Uh, Because basketball Twitter loves to whine, Michael. What what whining are you foreseeing? Yes, I'm very pro whining. Uh, I mean, ever since I started watching the NBA when I was a little kid, I wanted to hear what coaches were saying. I wanted to hear trash talk between players. I wanted to hear strategy. Uh, and basically, this is the best opportunity, I feel like, for that actually to happen. And anything that reduces that likelihood will get a humongous thumbs down from me. So if there's artificial crowd noise, cheering, booing, chants, whatever... I will hate it if there is uh, music that is... I mean, I anticipate music at various points during the broadcast and during the games, but when it's played will be interesting and how loud it's played will be interesting. Uh, So, I mean, I want, you know, I want free throws to be just whisper quiet. I want you to hear players yelling at each other and trying to psych each other out. I think that anything that ruins that... I hope all my brethren on basketball Twitter agree with me. Uh, That would be the biggest bummer. I'm here to ruin your life, Michael. I'm in completely (laughs) the opposite camp. I think they need to go all out with the sound effects and everything else because I remember watching those Orlando Summer League games or even just like the dead Vegas Summer League games when there's nobody in the stands. It's horrible on television. Like the lack of um, engagement of your senses it just leads you to, to tune out and, and turn the TV off, flip the channel. I think they're going to have to get really, really creative in terms of pumping in sound, in terms of whatever other, other things you could do, like virtual reality. I think they're going to have to tr- try to turn this into, <laughs> I'm serious, like an immersive experience, man, because otherwise you're just going to be watching a pickup game and you know guys are going to be wearing jerseys, but it's not going to feel nearly normal enough. I think for the television product, they have to try to make it 
as uh, as lifelike or as normal as possible, even if the players aren't actually experiencing it uh, in real time. What do you think? So I hear this a lot where like the Orlando Summer League experience, watching that on television is brutal, watching it, watching Las Vegas Summer League can be brutal. And I mean, my obvious pushback is that those games are brutal to watch, not so much because of the differing environment, but because there are no stakes and you do not know who half the players are and the quality of the game is terrible. There are stakes now. They hand out a championship trophy. I think I've been to the last five Las Vegas Summer League championship games. All five just burned into my retinas for being amazing basketball viewing experiences. I've even gone onto the court to celebrate with the winning team. Well, I didn't celebrate, but I captured their celebrations. Um, (laughs) No, I guess I'm being facetious here. There's stakes, I guess is my point, but there's not the talent level maybe which, which you really need. Right. If you're even a casual fan, if you're just watching, you pick it up, you, you turn it on, and you see LeBron versus Kawhi Leonard, like, I don't really care about sounds being in the background. You're going to watch. That's just, like, I don't know who comes to the NBA for all the pomp and circumstance, and I think people come for the star power, and there's going to be plenty of star power. And also, real quick, like, Look, this is going to be the first real team sport uh, competition that we've had in three months, I think, like longer by the time it actually happens. So whatever it looks like, I just think people will be really grateful, really excited. And again, just let them let, let us hear them talk. That's all, that's all I want. That's all I've ever wanted. I, I hear you. I love your optimism, Michael. I'm nervous, though. I'm worried that the, the run-up games are going to be a little bit ugly. There's going to be too many rounds of playoffs with bad teams in it before you actually get to the big star-level battles. And I think by that point, there's a chance that the casual fans, I mean, I'm with you. The diehards are going to be welcoming this thing back. And I would even say, you know, like the 1 million biggest basketball fans are going to be excited throughout the entire thing. But to really get those ratings up higher, like where where you would really want them to be, especially for a normal playoffs, I'm really concerned about their ability to draw those types of, uh, you know, the volume of fans. You know, it could just be people saying, eh, maybe I'll check back next year. You could have competition from football and baseball by the point you get to the conference finals and finals. If you don't get just your ideal matchups like Clippers-Lakers or – uh, you know, Lakers, Bucks, or, or whatever it might be. I'm nervous, man, uh, for, on behalf of the NBA in terms of being able to kind of retain and, uh, you know, keep uh, people excited. And I feel for the players too, because it's going to wind up being on them to sort of manufacture all the excitement that goes into the usual typical NBA crowd experience. And like, you can only jump around so much during player introductions in an empty gym before, again, it just starts to feel a little bit weird and, and you might have a tendency to go through the motion. So maybe I'm being overly cynical here. Um, I love Nothing I love more in the world than playoff basketball. And I'm just, I'm just nervous about how it, how it could get uh, presented to the masses. In terms of what I think will be the loudest complaint, um, you, you nailed a good one because I don't think they're going to have a lot of the audio. And I think that people will complain and, and want more. Um, I also think there's just going to be people who are, you know, not over it, right? By the time we get to see the games on television, like, oh, this is so boring. It's such a flat environment. There's no fans. I wish this game was at Chase Center. I wish this game was at TD Garden. And I can just see that whining going on all summer, and it will really bother me because, let's be honest, like a big chunk of basketball fans haven't been following this thing as closely as we have blow by blow. And at some point, there's going to be like, you know, 
couple million people tuning their television over to this, seeing it for the first time. And I can imagine a lot of people are going to be like, this just sucks compared to normal. And I don't want to hear those people complain, but I know they will. How miserable do you have to be to complain? You could get nothing. That's also an alternative. So, like, just well, enjoy it. How, how, how miserable are we as a society these days, Michael? Very, another, very, very another, miserable. Another philosophical question for us to chew on at a later date. Hey, here's one for you, and this is going to be a quick hitter. Which player will get the most love for being in shape and why? And then do you see a team that you think will really hit the ground running from a chemistry standpoint and why? The two players, I'm just, I have two that are basically tied. They're Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. And for Jokic, I mean, supposedly he has a four pack right now, which is incredible because earlier this season, I saw him at Madison Square Garden in the locker room with his shirt off, and there was no four pack. So, oh, Michael, uh, I've, I've been on a nine month long weight loss journey because people kept telling me I look like Jokic and I just got sick of it. And I was like, come on guys, like this, <laughs> I, I can't be in this category anymore. Like this isn't acceptable. And now come to find out Jokic has been on a big time weight loss journey of his own over the last couple of months during quarantine. I mean, it was happening during the season too, but it looks like it's accelerated. Um, am I doomed here, Michael? Are we just, you know, tied together forever? I did not know that people were making fun of you for a physical resemblance to Jokic. I knew about the Coach Malone thing. And so <laughs> now we have a little bit of an irony here because obviously those two are both with the Denver Nuggets. So uh, very interesting, Ben. Very interesting. Yeah, I think I'm growing my hair out now officially too. I haven't cut it since quarantine. I might not go back to the buzz cut. I'm definitely not going back to a barbershop anytime soon. I can promise you that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, it'll be interesting where the comps wind up landing. But uh, why did you say Embiid? Well, so I mean, we talked about this very briefly in our last episode, but he's he was not selected to either of our teams because he has a reputation for not being in shape and not taking care of his body as best as he could. So if he were to come out of quarantine looking ripped, looking like someone who's able to play 45 minutes a night without any physical fatigue, uh, all of a sudden, you know, his team, you'll see it in, on him for sure. But it's possible then that the Sixers could bump themselves up into the 4-5 bracket, and then all of a sudden, maybe Embiid is the best player in a series against the Milwaukee Bucks. And then the Sixers are just this monstrous contender uh, that a lot of people thought they would have been before the season began. So that's kind of why I went with Embiid. Just, I think it's just based on expectations and what he could be, and it would be awesome to see him kind of reach his potential. No, it's great nominations. I'm actually going to pick your MVP, your finals MVP, uh, James Harden. I mean, we've already seen the the footage. He definitely looks much slimmer. Uh, your points about his ability to draw fouls are very well taken. I also just think that, like, you know, this is going to be, as we keep going back to five-on-five, five, more pickup style than typical NBA game. And, like, that's the guy, you know, who who is the most comfortable in that situation. I just think that everybody's kind of – everything's lining up for him. Um, and then, you know, he doesn't have to play on the road doesn't have to, uh, you know, there's no Warriors to stand in his way like there were previous years, and that's been the team that's always kind of gotten him. Um, you know, I think that you know, he's going to have a, a chance to have recharged as well prior to this playoff push. We've seen some fatiguing from him uh, in playoffs in the past just because of workload and um, and usage, you know, during the course of a series. He just kind of second halves of games, uh, maybe he starts to fade a little bit or the efficiency slips. And now he's had months to get his body right and recharge. So I think actually both him and LeBron 
are going to be even more fearsome versions of themselves because of the the rest and relaxation and recharge factor. And I think that should be scaring opposing coaches in, in a big time way. Okay, so what about on the team chemistry side? Do you have a, a nomination there? Yeah, I think sticking with the Denver Nuggets real quick. I mean, we just talked about them with your resemblance to everyone on their roster. Uh, you know, this is an organization that is bought into continuity. They have defined roles up and down the roster and their starting lineup this year has played seven or played 735 minutes. That's over 200 more minutes than any other five man unit in the league that will be in Orlando. So I just, I think it's kind of an easy answer for me. It's, it's gotta be the Denver Nuggets. I'm going with the Toronto Raptors, uh, on the Eastern conference. The reason why, I mean, I am a little bit nervous about some of their veteran guys. Um, are they going to be back, you know, in full conditioning and all that? But they've basically played together throughout last season or most of last season, uh, the playoff run, and then this year, mm-hmm. their core group has has spent that time together. They have very clearly defined roles. It's definitely a situation where the whole was greater than the sum of the parts. I mean, it feels like forever ago, but they ran off that super long winning streak um, you know, after the turn of the new year. And they also just have a lot of good guys, guys who love basketball and are kind of in it together and a lot of gamers. And I also just respect Nick Nurse at this point in terms of how he's putting together a culture. And I mean, of any guy who's sort of like adaptable to any situation, you know, I think it would be Nick Nurse. I mean, you mentioned a guy like PJ Tucker benefiting from his years abroad and kind of throw him in this Orlando environment and he'll be completely comfortable. I feel like that's kind of the Nick Nurse deal too. Like what's really the difference and coaching at Disney World compared to Great Britain, you know, it's like well, the, the <laughs> crowds are probably pretty similar, right? Um, so, I, you know, I, I like them being able to hit the ground running, and I also think there could be a rest and re- a recovery factor for players like Ibaka, uh, Marcus All, and Lowry too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, great point. Where again, you just need them to come together for a solid two month stretch. You know, can they make a, a run to the Eastern Conference Finals? It's certainly within uh, within their reach. Um, all right, a couple more quick ones to close this thing out. Michael, I've kind of hinted and joked about this, but uh, you know, seeing these Mickey Mouse graphics going around social media, you know, welcoming NBA to Disney World with a little Disney font and everything. Uh, I mean, it's almost to the point where I'm like puking in my mouth already. Just I'm getting there. And so I'm curious, will ESPN, I think they have a real clear conflict of interest here because they're covering these games, right, as a media outlet. They're writing about them. Um, you know, they have very, very well-known, respected journalists writing about him. But then they're also essentially hosting this entire playoffs um, at the ESPN Wild World of Sports Complex at Disney World. ESPN's a subsidiary uh, of Disney, of course. And then, you know, Disney's uh, executive, Bob Iger, is one of the guys who kind of put this whole thing together with the Players mm-hmm. Union and, you know, with the NBA and everything else. We know the scope of their financial relationship, billions of dollars in terms of the media rights deal. It all just feels very slippery and, you know, it's not exactly coincidental that we're doing this here on Disney property. And of course, um, there's a big agreement they have to reach to actually host it on the Disney campus from a financial standpoint, because we're talking about housing thousands of people potentially for months, right? So how do you think... um, this is going to play out. Are we going to see this conflict of interest or ESPN's role really catch the attention of the casual fan? Or is this going to be something that just like, you know, media people like to harumph about and it's not actually going to wind up being that big of a deal? What do you think? So I don't I don't know how much 
of a deal this is to the average fan or your typical viewer or even someone that would not be able to put two and two together and realize that ESPN is a subsidiary of Disney and that Disney is basically the host of this thing. Um, I will say that the NBA has been using its national media partners to sweep controversies under the rug for over 20 years from NBC to ESPN. Um, And, you know, if any complications should pop up that are serious and that violate the health and safety of others and ESPN as a journalistic institution opts not to thoroughly investigate, I I think it's fair to ask how complicit they are in the wrongdoing. Uh, But besides that, I don't think that the general fan really cares all that much. Will they care if Mickey Mouse and uh, Minnie Mouse (laughs) are the halftime entertainment, right? Or the mascots? I mean, how far can ESPN push this thing before people kind of start pushing back? I was so close to drafting Goofy onto my (laughs) all-quarantine team, and I chose not to because I didn't want any conflict of interest to pop up, but it 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 was very tempting. Oh boy! Now I'm wondering: Is Jokic goofy, or who's uh, who's goofy in the NBA? Uh, we can maybe actually that could be another segment. Maybe we should lean into this, Michael, and match up all the ESPN characters with NBA players, um, and and build our own all Disney roster. That'd be fantastic uh, synergy, brand synergy there. Um, emailers, if you have ideas on the all Disney team, send them to us. Openfloormail at gmail.com. <laughs> I want Open I want f- skill sets. I want pros and cons. I want the whole deal. Oh, you know people will come through for us. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Michael, you know, I'm trying to make a little bit of a joke out of this, but I'm a little worried about it, man. I I don't know if this is entirely healthy. I understand why they did it. And I don't mean healthy from like a safety standpoint. I just mean like from an ethical standpoint. I've already noticed that ESPN has put disclaimers at the bottom of their columns. I think that's excellent. I hope that continues. I think that's a nice first step. Most people don't care about that, but I think it is important. Um, and I also worry about the access side because we know that ESPN and TNT is going to have to have a lot of talent on hand to cover these things, you know, just whether it's sideline reporters or broadcasters or everything else. Um, and how available will it be for outside independent media to be able to live in the bubble? Is it even going to be an option? How much is it going to cost? Will it be cost prohibitive to their media organizations? And then how much oversight will there be from third parties? It's an issue that I was concerned about actually during during the whole uh, China fiasco with Hong Kong last year where the NBA just started to basically shut down and not have uh, media access periods for players. Look, this is, you know, that was a one-time thing and the NBA kind of swore it would never happen again. And then the coronavirus hits and the NBA kicks the media out of the locker room. And on that one, I totally understood. I, I thought it made sense from a social distancing standpoint. But, you know, I'm just worried about this trend here. And I hope that there is an effort to keep... Uh, the balance of independent voices um, within whatever the media sphere is of these playoffs, because you know ultimately, like we could be going forward into next season needing to use a bubble too, and you know we don't want a situation where the only stories that are being told about the league for like 18 months are stories that are being told by uh, you know media partners with clear conflicts of interest. I think that would be very damaging, um, you know, to the overall presentation of the sport and just to the. Uh, to the the average viewer's experience. I realize that uh, not very many people probably care about this stuff nearly as much as I do, but I do think it's important. I could not agree with you more. And in a time where the possibility of 
something not I don't want to say nefarious, just something wrong happening that tries to get covered up or gleamed over uh, is is higher than it would normally be. You would want, uh, you know, you would want ethical journalism and you would not want a conflict of interest that is so blatant to be covering the event. So, uh, you know, I could, you know, I don't want to like belabor this point, but let's say, you know, someone like, uh, let's say a star gets coronavirus and they somehow or whatever decide to, instead of benching LeBron James or Anthony Davis for seven days and quarantining them and risking the Lakers not going to the championship or whatever, they just kind of sweep it under the rug and don't tell anybody and no one asks the right questions and then you get this whole controversy. So I'm not saying that that would ever happen, but it... It's a possibility that would not otherwise exist. Uh, no doubt, no doubt. Hopefully it never comes to that. And I actually trust the NBA's uh, integrity on that front. When I, it did, comes I, to, I did too, I did too. Yeah, when it comes to the, the testing. But I would also love the NBA to release their entire testing protocol here as soon as possible so that we can kind of hold it up to independent medical scrutiny so the players can you know, hear all about it from a source uh, that's not just the NBA itself and that, you know, everybody would probably feel more comfortable after that takes place. Um, And I think, you know, that's another situation where I feel like we're kind of banging that drum ourselves as independent media people because, you know, the, the, the league's partners obviously have a motivation there to, to not do so, to, you know, just kind of go along and get along with the league. All right. Two more quick ones to close this thing out, Michael. How many owners do you think are going to be in the bubble? Uh, You know, it's obviously going to be a real imposition on their normal lifestyle of private jets and helicopters and everything else. So will any of the owners submit to the bubble? Do you have any candidates who are like the most likely and the least likely to join the bubble? So starting with most likely, I've got five. And it was actually very difficult to get to five. Uh, They are Steve Ballmer. Mark Cuban. Clear number one and two. You're doing yeah. great. <laughs> yeah, that was very obvious. They're the most front-facing owners in the league. Uh, and then I went I went Jeannie Buss, number three, uh, obviously of the Lakers. Mark Lazary of the Bucks, Ooh. just because I feel like, uh, you know, he does interviews. He's a pretty, he's not the most famous owner, but he's the owner or a part owner of a championship favorite, I would assume that he would want to be a part of it uh, and associate himself with it. And then those were like the top four that I had. And then for number five, I just said Wick Grosbeck because he's a relatively young owner and he's owner of the Boston Celtics and they're a pretty good team. So... For a second there, I thought you were saying he's one of your relatives as part of the Boston Celtics family. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute, Michael, what are you saying here? Um, well, I think that the right answer is two. I think that we maybe could see like Lazary or maybe Jeannie come mm-hmm. for the finals, like at the towards the end of it, if there's a situation where maybe you could be awarded the trophy. But I don't feel like either one of them is going to be devoting two months of their life to this. Like, I think that there's only really two guys who might be there for the whole long haul, and it would be Balmer and Cuban. I also don't think, I don't even think those two would be there for the long haul. I just think that they'll make routine appearances. I guess Cuban could conceivably be there for the whole thing because his team will probably not be there very long. 
Right, right. Well, here's the problem with the routine appearances, though. That's not how bubbles work, right? Like you, you got to get it, <laughs> you got to get yeah. in the bubble. You can't just pop back out of the bubble. So yeah, maybe there will be some strategizing to it. You know, if you're a bomber, you could say, "Hey, I'll come after the first round and stay for the rest of the way." If you're Cuban, you say, "I'll show up right at the beginning because we're going to be out possibly in the first month." Um, but uh, I, I think it's just an interesting dynamic. I asked the question because of the optics factor. It's like. You know, we're kind of sending all these players off into this bubble and there's this health risk. And meanwhile, the owners are sitting back saying, oh, no, I'll just stay at home. Tell us tell us how it goes. I'll be watching on TV. Uh, it's, a, <laughs> it's a little weird, you know. And I also think, you know, on that same standpoint, it would be good for Adam Silver to be visible at this thing and, and to be mm-hmm. in attendance. You know, I think that would go a long way to um, projecting the right image about NBA involvement. Um, and so from that standpoint... You know, I, I think it's something to consider. Uh, like we heard over the weekend, what what did Biden say? Oh, yeah, you know, Obama never went down in the bunker. He said he'd stay up with the people and send me down to the bunker uh, if there was ever a situation. Uh, you know, there's something to that, uh, this idea that we're all in it together and that leaders should bear some of the burden uh, along with their employees in this case. And um, I would personally like to see that. Yeah, that's leadership for you, exactly, like you said. Uh, so moving on to the... Actually, before we move on to least likely, there's an owner who I kind of feel like, uh, even though his team is not uh, participating in the competition because they did not qualify, uh, I would love to see them there, and that is Michael Jordan. What are your thoughts oh, you, about... Oh, I thought you were going to say Jim Dolan. Uh, no, I, no one wants to see Jim Dolan. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> what are your thoughts about Jordan... Just like, I mean, he put out this statement uh, uh, recently about how the Jordan brand is committing $100 million over the next 10 years to various uh, black causes. Um, I, I I don't know. I would like to see, I've always wanted Jordan to be a more public figure than he has been over the past, I guess, 20 plus years. I think it would be cool if he was there and if he maybe even spoke. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, it would be really awkward and it would, it'll never happen. But what are your thoughts about Jordan being in the bubble? Well, here's my thought. Um, and I've actually had this thought before because, you know, Bill Russell has is getting up there. And I love the fact that he is the one who hands out the finals MVP every year. It's such a cool moment. And if you go back and look at pictures from various years when he's doing it, it just his presence alone makes that moment just like five times more mm-hmm. goosebumpy. You know, it yeah. just like gets, yep. gets me going. I do not, please, please, please protect Bill Russell from this bubble. Do not make this man fly across country to hand out that finals MVP trophy. Can we please keep Bill Russell safe here? Um, <laughs> he, he had some amazing social media posts over the weekend as well. Uh, he was like kneeling with his, I think his presidential medal, medal of freedom around his neck. I mean, just awesome. Yes. Why, do, why don't we have Michael Jordan take Bill Russell's place as a guy who won six finals MVP, the Bill Russell finals MVP awards, why doesn't Michael Jordan stand in and, and be the guy who hands out the finals MVP trophy this year? We can kind of do two birds with one stone. What do you think, Michael? I Wow, that is that might be my favorite idea that you've ever proposed on this podcast. Well, that's what I'm here, you know, potty in the brain, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it, I just would like to say also, yes, protect Bill Russell at all costs. I do not want Bill Russell uh, getting sick for the purpose of passing an award on to, like, LeBron James. 
Well, I've thought about this like outside of the bubble context. I mean, someone's going to have to be the next one to hand that award out, right? After Bill Russell. I mean, at some point here, it's just not going to be safe for him. Um, and we're not there yet. I mean, he was at a, a Lakers game this year, moving around pretty well, uh, you know, all things considered and definitely like totally, um, you know, aware of everyone who was like super excited to be there to make a statement and interacting with players and everything else. But, you know, five, 10 years down the road, like what's next? Who do you think Bill Russell or the NBA should pass the baton to? Magic? Michael, like who's, who's next in line? You know what I mean? You know, as you were asking this question, the one player and the only option that popped into my head was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And I actually do not know how many finalist MVPs he has won off the top of my head. Do you, I'm sure it's one, at at least one. Yeah. And just for context sake, Michael, like Jordan has won six, which is the most of all time. Now, keep in mind, they didn't have this award before 1969. Jordan's won six. Magic, Shaq, Tim Duncan and LeBron have won three. Um, And then you've got Willis Reed, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Larry Bird, Akeem, Kobe, Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard have all won two. So I guess by the numbers, Jordan would be the obvious answer. But yet you also have to consider the league's history too, right? Like there's still guys who are older than Jordan who could be candidates. Yeah. I I mean, for me, I think it's got to be Kareem or just that's the first person that I thought of as you were asking the question, Uh, just from a historical perspective. And uh, I guess age wise, if we're just kind of doing it chronologically um, and are you, are you worried that MJ won't show up every year? Like there might be some years where he's like, eh, I don't know. I'm just going to, I'm just going (laughs) to, that is a possibility as well. So MJ can't be the most reliable person for this responsibility. Um, That said, I mean, like, it's not like Kareem is not vulnerable as well to COVID. So I, I don't want him to risk anything either, but at the same time, uh, he is, I don't know, it, just in this socially conscious moment, he would be just, he's just kind of an important figure. And I think it would be really powerful. Yeah, for sure. I guess I was talking more about like the distant future, like who, who gets the baton. But for me, I think the answer, <laughs> the answer short term should be MJ. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And especially if you have a situation where he's giving it to, you know, LeBron, uh, or Kawhi or Giannis, like that'd be you know, a really memorable kind of, uh, heartfelt moment in history for any of those three guys and certainly it would be the best face that the NBA could put forward and by the way he's not too far away from Orlando right I mean it wouldn't be the the biggest imposition on his time all right Michael we've come to our very last topic here it's something that we've talked about in the past but I just want to you know get a final answer for you thumbs up or thumbs down now let's put aside the assumption that we made early on which was that they're definitely going to make it through this thing unscathed and they're going to be able to crown a champion I want you to tell me, will they be able to do so? Or are you are you kind of doom and gloom worried about this thing needing to be like, you know, shut down again, like we've seen from some overseas leagues? And then if they do make it through, do you think that the winner will get an asterisk? Or do you think that there's going to be a spin job of like, hey, like they overcame all these hurdles. There was a long layoff. There was COVID. They they endured through the the tough quarantine lifestyle. They're the champions. Like, do you think that there will be positive or negative spin uh, to the champion if there is one? I think that there will be. I think there will be negative spin, or maybe negative isn't even the right word. Uh, I just think that you can't say that 
whoever wins this year, like it, there's no asterisk. This is literally why asterisks were invented. They are for this purpose. This is a different situation than any other season. There is no comparison to it. Uh, so there will 100% be an asterisk in the eyes of just about everybody. Um, I think that the asterisk will only grow you know, based on who wins. So I do think that if the Lakers or the Clippers win or the Bucks, those are the three teams that I think a lot of people anticipated winning the championship anyway. If they win it all, then the asterisk will be a little smaller. There will still be an asterisk, though. If the Nuggets win or the Rockets or, uh, I don't know, any other team that the Jazz, (laughs) if a team out of nowhere comes and wins it, I think that there will be gross speculation about the circumstances factoring in it to a greater degree than those other three teams. So the asterisk will only get bigger. Uh, and I just, I don't think that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. This is just kind of a season where, or a postseason where we just kind of have to get in and get out and hope everybody's safe. And that should be the, the, the primary goal here, right? Yeah, so I guess the more I'm thinking about it, I'm I'm getting more optimistic that they're going to be able to make it through. I think that they're going to be able to lock this thing down pretty tight if they want to uh, from the outside world. I think that's the most important part. I also think that if they can make it through the first month, they're down to eight teams, and that feels like a very manageable amount to me. Um, so maybe I'm talking myself into it the longer I stare at the problem, but you know, I'm, I'm hopeful at this point they're going to be able to do it. In terms of the asterisk part of this question, though, I agree that there will be one applied to any team that has never won previously or, or players that have never won previously. And they'll sort of be almost like the subject of ridicule, ridicule to a certain degree where like, oh, uh, you know, like if the Rockets won, I could see a lot of people trying to devalue that. And that would be really frustrating and annoying to me, but I'm not sure we could see sort of any way around it. I'm already seeing momentum for that preemptively building two months in advance before they have even played the first playoff game. Um, and that's already uh, annoying me, but I don't see any way around it. It annoys me for the same reason people wanted to invalidate Kevin Durant's titles with Golden State. Oh, it wasn't fair. Oh, it didn't really count. To me, they all count, but I do think they're going to be treated differently. The only exceptions there, I think, are for guys who have won repeatedly in the past. And to me, that's basically two guys at this point, LeBron and Kawhi. If those guys win, it'll just be part of their legacy. They're great players, and they've won in all sorts of different circumstances. They both would be doing it for their third separate team, which I think would add uh, you know, kind of a, a positive layer of spin because you could say, oh, they've won with different teammates around them. They've won in various circumstances. So, of course, they would win here. Um, but past that, I think people would try to invalidate the Bucks if they win, for sure. And then the other two teams that you're mentioning that weren't really viewed as kind of A-list contenders before the shutdown, I think would all get even worse treatment than like the Rockets got during, uh, you know, Jordan's uh, baseball career. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you think the Bucks would be invalidated. That's fascinating because they were the, they're the probable favorites heading into this thing. Yeah. I just think that people would say, um, you have to prove it again. It's not like they wouldn't give them credit for it at all, but it would be like, oh, these are extraordinary circumstances. Like, you had a great season, but we saw you melt down in last year's playoffs. Like there would just be a lot more excuse making around it. And I think that I don't feel like that that title would be as pure either. Like just for even the guys. Like remember when LeBron won the first title in Miami and he's dancing around and jumping on the bench? Mm-hmm. But then when he won the first title with Cleveland, he's crying in, in real tears. Or Katie wins the first title in Golden State and he's and he's excited and he's smiling. 
but he's not crying. But when he lost the finals to Miami, um, you know, when he was younger, he's kind of in tears in his mom's arm. Like, I just find it very difficult that like Giannis is going to finally break through, win his first title, and like break down in, in, in tears in an empty gym in Orlando. Right? I just I, think I, that the circumstances are going to be different. I don't think anyone who wins it all will have the same type of emotion. I could be wrong, but I just think it's just a completely different, isolated right. scenario. Um, it also reminds and, and to me be of clear, the, like I'm I'm not rooting against that. Like it would be amazing yeah. if they're able to kind of create that type of uh, an environment in that stands, right? But it's just so different. That's that's my concern. No, and it also reminds me of the 2015 Warriors. Remember when they won it all and basically they they beat LeBron James and Matthew Dellavedova and then all summer long everyone was like, "Okay, you won that one. We're giving it an asterisk because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were injured and and no one really cares." And then they came out and did what they did the next season and the, the I guess they didn't win it all the next season, but the the following few seasons uh, after they got KD. So, uh, yeah, no, there's always going to be people who kind of place asterisks on things, but this is the actual place to put the asterisk. Uh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I, I get no joy from saying that, but I think it's going to be treated differently. The only way it can kind of, you know, look the other way, I think, would be for sure LeBron uh, and Kawhi. And I do think that, like, the Lakers have so many fans, they would just be able to drown out all the asterisk talk just by sheer, like, you know, blunt force. And uh, with the Clippers that, fans, that, that's what we're uh, here for, though. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna keep uh, we're gonna stand up for the for the exactly. asterisk talk. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, with the Clippers too, though, I think people would probably laugh at them. I mean, I think Kawhi would get validated, but I still think people would be like, "Oh yeah, of course the Clippers, this terrible organization for decades, finally wins in the one year where it's different. Good thing they don't have to worry about a championship parade because of COVID." You know, there'd be like those kinds of cracks and. <laughs> That make it just makes me a little sick to my stomach because they had a great season um, and they were headed for what could have been a dominant playoff run before this whole thing shut down. So I guess we're ending here a little bit on a somber note, Michael, but I do want to kind of reinforce. I'm excited, man. Like I'm still, you know, have completely deferential to the protests that are going on around the country right now, for sure. I'm still very nervous about the health situation, no, no doubt about it. But when you're adding up all of these unpredictabilities that we just described with virtually every aspect of gameplay and the series and the format and the players and the health and the conditioning and everything else, there's not really any good way to predict this thing with any sort of uh, you know reasonable degree of uh, certainty. And that should make this fun. You know, I mean, I'm not sure it's going to be as fun as a normal playoffs because of, of no crowds. But it should be fun from the sheer spectacle and just like having no idea what's about to happen. There are countless variables. Uh, I I find it more fascinating than fun. I'm sure by the time July 31st rolls around, hopefully I'll, I'll come around and be a little bit more on, on that side of the fence with you. Right now, it's well, just... Well, if, if not, we've got Goofy and Daffy. And, exactly. And they're going to they're gonna make things all fun for everybody, Michael. Bless all them. right. We've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor, not sponsored by Disney yet. Uh, Michael, they can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review, tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. Michael's on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Victor Pina. I'm on Twitter at Ben Golver, on Instagram at Ben.Golver. And check out my Washington Post newsletter on this subject and plenty more. Um, by going to my Twitter page and signing up there. Michael, we're going to come back with uh, 
taking questions from the Open Floor Globe on all sorts of subjects. Our draft from last week, the all-quarantine team, um, follow-ups to uh, you know various discussions we've had about uh, the protests that are ongoing, and lots of stuff in between. So check that out on Friday, guys. All right, Michael. Until then, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. Thank you.